This is Talking Utter Slot, and this is the second part of a two-part special where we talk to Gareth Jex about building up his huge collection uh, and what it felt like when he got to the stage where he'd had enough and he wanted to get rid of it, and he sold it all, and how he did that and what it felt like. Here's part two. So... I was going to, I was going to move you on because I think you you said to me before you having got you got frustrated that the, and there's a good example that the, the mainstream manufacturers and there were relatively few at that at that point they're not like there is today and you you started wanting to make your own so yeah. that was the next kind of extension to the collection T- tell us about how did that how did that come how about did that come about again unfortunately that people watching this will think that we live in each other's pockets, but some of this is your fault. Okay, not all of it. <laughs> some of this is your fault. I, I shudder to think, though. Okay. Yeah. So, um, again, because, you know, com- conversations with manufacturers, what we're going to build next, Gareth, what do you suggest? La, la, la. Mm, no, ignore Gareth. We don't want to do an escort. Who would be stupid enough to do a mask? Mark one escort. That won't sell, will it? Oh, maybe it does. I don't know. Did they sell well? I hope they did. I think they did. I, I, I've been told uh, by someone who should know, Simon, uh, that um, at the sell out of any escort they ever produced. Oh, so, uh, yeah. yeah Why on earth have they taken that? Anyway, I digress. It, it may be a time thing, though. I think we were, we were sort of talking about this the other day, but that actually, no, you know, some debate on that, but there's a kind of sweet spot of if uh-huh. it's uh, 40, 50 years ago, that's when something becomes really popular. Yeah. And it may have been that just that it was too, uh, too early. So cars are interesting when they're new, and then they disappear, uh, and yeah. then they come back to being interesting again. So, uh, yeah. Okay. It's the... So a frustration of either manufacturers not making new slot car models or regurgitating livery after livery after livery. And, again, bear in mind this was at the time of Fly, and they made an art form out of that, really. Um, and you look at the cabinet and you think, do I really need 60 Fly Renault 5 turbos? And the, the, the answer is obviously yes. Yeah, uh, because... yeah. Because <laughs> they keep finding new liveries. Even today, yeah. even well, see, today, as in they're still yeah. launching new liveries. I mean, some of them must have been, I don't know, the, the woman down the street from the local pharmacy put a sticker on the side of her Rillo 5. Oh, let's make that one. I don't know. No, they're doing great. But anyway, it's a, it's so a use... frustration born out of either not being able to get something different, new and interesting, and again, what I liked, led me to have a desire to make some slot cars. Because I kind of got to the point uh, where it's like, okay, why don't you make this? Why don't you make here? Here's a load of photos. Here's, a, here's all the liveries that you could do. They're quite exciting. They're really good. Waste of time. I said, sod it. I'll do it myself. So you'd done all the research, basically. I'd yeah, done you all the research. And I said, sod it. Let's do it ourselves. So at the time, um, I was quite active on slot forum and stuff like that. And of course, I, I like making models, but I'm no master model maker by any stretch of the imagination. But So the chances of me creating something from scratch were slim to zero. Um but I was very fortunate and I came across Mr. Phil Field, who Nick referenced the other day. Um, do, you, do you mean Phil or Martin? Martin. Martin Field. Sorry. What did I say? Nick? <laughs> no, Phil. Oh, Phil. Phil, Martin Phil Field. Field. Martin Field. I was very fortunate to come over with Martin. And Martin was 
very old school. And I think, as Nick said the other day, he was he worked for various full-size manufacturers, calf manufacturers, and I think his main job was actually making the original full-size clay mo- models, the prototype mm-hmm. model of clay, and various other components on cars. I think Nick said he made some part of his, was it Maestro? I know I remember when I had a Range Rover, he said, oh, I designed the seatbelt housing for that. Great. Anyway, kind of off track, but what he's very good at, oh, I'm just going to grab something. What he's very good at is making models from scratch, from bits of wood and carving them, mm-hmm. basically, out uh, of bits of wood. Now, when you sort of think about, uh, or certainly in the time when I was thinking about people making slot cars by hand, I guess, going back to what you were saying, they tend to be older cars, 1950s, mm. you know, bullet-shaped Formula One cars and and that kind of stuff, which, no disrespect to the people that are making them, they kind of lend themselves to kind of whittling a piece of wood because they're aerodynamic they're kind of smooth and that kind of stuff I'm, i know there's a lot of skill goes into it but you can't get that I, can't, I could probably pick up a piece of wood and fashion a pretty crude looking 1950s formula one car probably better than scalectrics did at the time but anyway <laughs> <laughs> but that's not what i wanted <laughs> sorry sorry of course, they weren't Hornby then, so it doesn't really matter. So what I wanted was something that I thought that every manufacturer should have made and couldn't understand why, which at the time, the first one was a Skoda Fabia WRC rally car. Okay. Now, if you're a rally fan and you watched rallying, well, even now, but if you watched it 10, 15 years ago, maybe not in the top of the WRC, but every Formula 2 rally championship was won by Skoda. Well, I think they had that famous ad, didn't they, which was a long list of dates, so about 10 or 12 years that said yeah. when Skoda won the, the, the junior class and it was... Everything. So, you know, one of the most, if not probably the most successful rally car manufacturers ever, actually. Everybody thinks Toyota, Audi, Citroen, but actually if you look at it, Skoda probably. I have no back, no facts to back that up, but anyway, very very good. It's all right that... As we say, the title of the show shows you how much we value facts. <laughs> Probably, yeah. So yeah, anyway, I wanted yeah. to go to Fabio Rally Car. Uh, and actually, funnily enough, Nick was also involved in some of this because he's a massive Skoda Rally Car fan because I think he did some work with him back in the day. So I said, that's what I want. Okay. So, of course, Nick uh, Martin sort of said to me, what is that? I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. He knew what a Skoda car was, and he might have even driven one. But So then a lot of research goes into this. So lots of photos, as many technical drawings as I can, and I was posting them up, photos, packs of photos and dimensions on them and pointing out all these bits and pieces. And eventually he gave me that, which is probably very difficult to see, but I'll try and take a photograph of it. And that, if I'm honest, very difficult to see, but it's actually made out of wood. So he mm-hmm. hand carved this out of a block of wood. Uh, it's very light. It's not balsa wood. It's something else. I didn't. I can't remember what he said it was called. And then he put all this detail into it uh, and go off and do that. And he post me this and say, "Are you happy with this?" And quite often he would do one half, and then the other half would just be a block of wood. And he'd send it to me and say, "Are you happy with this?" Because if you are, I can replicate it exactly on the other side. But I won't do that until you're perfectly happy. So you can imagine that was 
it was like Pandora's box. I thought, this is amazing. I can have more or less whatever I want. Obviously, I'm paying for it, but I can have whatever I want. And I, that's, I loved that because I thought, I'm going to show them because this is what I want. I think this is what everybody should be making, and I'm sure I'm right. Let's make 50 of them, okay, and test the water. <laughs> so he'd come back, and then he'd do... Um, he do the mould, and then he do a, a flush mould, just a slush mould with resin that he do himself, so that he could do the insides. Because one of the things I really wanted when I was making these cars is I didn't want them to turn into team slot blocks of resin. I wanted them to be lovely models, but I also wanted them to be the possibility of racing them. So they didn't want to be super thick. I didn't want lots of plastic insert bubbly glass and all that sort of stuff so they had to be quite thin they had to be quite well made and also at the time like i said i'm not a bad modeler but what i'm not good is making chassis and all that sort of stuff so i wanted hmm. my cars to fit onto chassis that you could either buy off the shelf like at the time ps32s pendles sort of mm -hmm, yeah. or in the case of the skoda fabia another rally car that just so happened to have exactly the right wheelbase and also happened to be four-wheel drive so I, mm. I found i can't remember now what car it was but i basically found i think it was a hornby one let me just grab it out of the cabinet sorry uh yeah skoda fabia rally car and of course then skeletrics went and made one or somebody did Anyway, at the time, so I had a chassis and I made Martin create the mould to fit the chassis that he could buy. Perfect. Send them off to a factory up in Manchester somewhere, Birmingham rather, and they'd come back and I had them spun in, spun moulded. So you've got lots of fine detail and not just in the sort of normal resin that you see normally this kind of thing, but it was for some reason it was a sort of greyish colour. And I think, remember, that meant that it had sort of like metal finings in it or finings and it. it made the detail much better. And I'd have 50 of them made, and then I'd do a load of liveries that I'd design myself off photos, make sure they were super accurate as best I could, drew up all the artwork, redrew the logos, contacted companies when I couldn't find logos, put internet requests out to companies to say, can any tell me what this logo was? Um, and then do all the decals and have all the decals made, and then basically make the ones that I wanted, kept those. And then sold all the others. And and how how many different models did you do eventually? Um, eight. I did a Skoda Fabia, a Skoda One Thirty R, Toyota Celica. Because I'm, I'm looking at them now. Toyota Corolla, an Audi Group, Audi Quattro Group S, mm -hmm. Triumph TR Two. And an Auto Bianchi rally car. And did, did you sell them all? Did you sell <laughs> the fifty? No. All the all of the. This is the this is the point at which the people down in Margate go, yes, no, we were right. <laughs> talking utter slot. <laughs> now, to be fair, all of the uh, Skodas went, and they were a fairly crude model at the time. That was the first one I did. And because it was designed to fit onto a, uh, somebody else's chassis, it kind of meant buying another car, destroying it, and putting my chassis and my body on top. All of these Skoda 130Rs sold out very quickly. That was a very popular car. Um, 
and I did at the time of course I'm looking at now one two three four five six seven eight different livery options and you can order whichever one you wanted um mm. and all the compa- all the white metal parts you could either make it the group b or the group a or a road car or whatever and there was all variations spoilers wing mirrors you name it all the toyota sold funny that scott mm-hmm. <laughs> i didn't but well i famously when you were doing all of this i'd given up collecting slot cars yeah. or even playing with yeah. them and I remember, and, no, and then it was only, I was lucky, uh, because when you came to, as we should move on to, you came to selling everything. Uh, so I was able to buy a few of those, yeah. uh, which I, I've got. So tell us, we probably could talk, we probably should have done a separate show about you making them. But So that kept your interest going for a while, but obviously it didn't satisfy you because you got to a point where you decided I'm 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 done with this now. I want to get rid of them. Yeah. Tell us a little bit. How, how did that happen? And then the process. I think for all of us who are still at the stage of acquisition and the pleasure of acquisition, uh, whether it's from a shop or swap meet yeah. or eBay. Um, what's hard to imagine is how you get rid get of them. They're easy to they're easy to get. How are they to get rid of? So, tell us a bit about that. Okay. So again, a bit like the first time the collection. The limiting factor for all of this, I guess, for a lot of people, myself included, is space. You get to the point where, and I did, like I say, originally the cabinets were all, the cars were lovely displayed, 45 degrees on the glass shelf. You could see they're all lovely, beautiful, nice. Occasionally a little post-cockpit memorabilia from an RAC. It looked lovely and I was very pleased with it. Um, my wife obviously hated it. Um, but then you get more, so you start double stacking them, square on. And eventually it got to the point where I've got a lot of cabinets in here. You've been to this place before and I could, you know, this holds, I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 slot cars. Okay. And it filled up. And then you get to the point where you've actually got boxes of cars that you haven't unboxed yet. that are in cardboard boxes. You know, you've kind of got them, but you can't get them out and put them anywhere because you haven't got space. And that kind of makes you think, blimey, what am I collecting them for? Because, is collecting them really just leaving them in their cardboard boxes, putting them in the cardboard box and then putting them in the loft? What pleasure does that give you apart from buying them? Well, hmm. I could buy bottles of whiskey. It could be anything. but So you, you end up sort of not having the space to display them or look at them, fondle them, touch them, play with them, whatever it is that flicks your bean, <laughs> and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I basically ran out of space. And also then you step back and say, like I said, why on earth do I need... 65 Renault 5 Turbo, and why on earth do I need 20 Team Slot 6R4s that look shocking, especially then when MSC and then Scalectrics and then somebody else brings out the exact same livery, but much better. You think, oh, mm-hmm. well, I'll get rid of the crap ones. But of course, nobody wants to buy them anymore because the new ones are out. So you're, you're... it just got to the point where I knew it wasn't giving me any pleasure. And I kind of stopped racing. I'd kind of given up on making the the, the limited edition cars that I wanted to make. Um, so I just said, right, I'll get rid of it all. Because, you know, I have. My wife and daughter refer to this room that I'm in now as the Scalectrics room. It's always been the Scalectrics room. Annoyingly, not mm. the slot car room. It's always been the Scalectrics room. Um, and I decided, no, it's not giving me any pleasure. I haven't been in it. You know, I hadn't been in this room possibly for 12 months mm. so get rid the whole thing 
And actually, that took a while because in my heart and my head, I knew that what I really didn't want to do was box them all back up again. <laughs> because that is a hell of a process. Because, of course, yes, they're all displayed in the cabinets alphabetically. But, of course, I bought them at different times over a collecting span of 30 years, 25 years. So the box for the Audi Quattro in the top left-hand corner of the cabinet might be buried six foot deep in the back of the loft. And yet the one I bought yesterday is right at the front. Hmm. That took weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks. And I knew that I had to do it. Um, and I did actually, I knew how people, because other people that I know had also sold their entire collection. I think they kind of got to the same point as me. Uh, Rob yeah. Smith. Remember Rob yeah. Smith? He had a vast and extensive, excellent collection of Skeletrix cars. I would guess at the time he probably did have 99% of all the Skeletrix cars, and we are talking all the variations, colour. Mm. You know, he had the lot. And I think he reached the same kind of point where space and just the fact that there, there could be no end to it. It carried mm. on. And so you can never have it complete. So, you know, how many cars were Skeletrix released this year? I don't know. How many? Oh, 50, maybe 40. I, don't, I mean, a lot. I mean, this year particularly a lot. About 50. Yeah. Let's just say on average 50 mm. cars a year. Well, if that keeps going on, that just keeps going on. And, of course, then you get into, even of that 50, there'd be the 50 that release, and then there'd be all the prototypes. And Rob used to love collecting prototypes, as did I. I used to have prototypes and colour variations mm. and mould flushes, all that kind of stuff. So you, you could be looking at sort of 70, 100 cars a year, mm. and it's never going to end, or we don't think it's going to end. So it's a, it's a, it's impossible to actually have this collection be finite. So I said, right, get rid of it. Um, and I'd seen him sell them. And again, he went to a couple of the big dealers and said, I want to sell. And basically they came along, collected it all up, took it away and sold it. Um, and Rob's collection was Phil Smith and Derek. Derek. Derek Derek. Derek's passed away, yeah. is he not? I think, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So they would come along and hoover it all up and, you know, he did pretty well out of it, which is fine. Good for him. And he now has something else in its place, full-size versions of the sort of thing you collect, <laughs> uh, which is lovely. Um, I had a good relationship, and I probably still do, with Mark and Judy Scale. And, you know, they don't really deal in new stuff. They are mainly dealing in second-hand collector's market. I rang them up and said, I want to sell the collection. And they said, okay, uh, that's fine. I said, do I have to box everything up? And they said, yes. And what? <laughs> it was like, How much will you give me if I do it? <laughs> I, I, I probably wish I had said that. They said, no, you've you got to because it's going to take us weeks. And I said, yeah, it's going to take me weeks. Anyway, so it did take, I mean, it did take a long, long time. Uh, and just marrying them all up and putting all those screws back in and all that kind of stuff. And it was how many? How many could you not find the box for? Or perversely, how many could you have a box but not the car for? There was a lot. Of, there was a fair amount of that, but that was primarily because I used to race them, so I still had like a box. Okay, race, so that was fine. But frustratingly, there were one or two cars. Um, I say cars. One of them was a bus. This is how sad it gets. So one of the most expensive cars the most recent collections cars that i bought 
was a single-decker bus that took part in the Monte Carlo rally. I remember this. Yes, that that was that's that is uh, whatever the envelope is of collecting rally vehicles. Correct. That is an extreme. I think the way you're extreme, for it, extreme cost. You know, you win, you win that one. Uh, but somebody's got somebody has it now, and it's their pride. Yeah, but the person who has it now so, unfortunately doesn't have the box because annoyingly <laughs> as hell, that was the, one of the very few cars that I thought. Well, I definitely bought this in a box. Mm. I definitely know it's worth a lot of money. I definitely would have put that somewhere safe. Could I find it? No. So when you'd finally boxed them all up and they came and, you know, obviously you valued them and, and I guess took them away. I mean, it was like, you know, at one point a van left your front of your house and you had no... Yeah, they went there for slots, uh, three days, two nights, I think it was. Going through them all, just, just that one. Wow. Yeah, so I mean, I gives a sense of. I'd start, and there was the, this wall of FPX oh, cars that went down into the dining room, and we went through them all. And I remember Mark would sit there, and he goes, "Right, well, this lot are worth fifteen pounds each. This lot here are worth." And we just categorise them into that, and say, "That's fifteen. That's twenty. That's thirty. That's different. That's special." Put those on the table. We'll look at those in a bit. Right, there are one hundred and fifty worth fifteen pounds. Right, let's put those to one side. Put them in the hall, or put them in the van. Done next and it was like that and it was it was uh, a bit like counting sheep um and a lot of them to be fair to mark and and to julie they didn't know they said well what is this you've got to tell me how much it's worth because i don't know what it is it's so obscure you know it's either some hmm. very limited edition resin hand-built thing from spain and they don't know what it's worth and to be fair they we talk about it and i'd say well i think that's worth 400 quid and they say, okay, fine, it's worth 400 quid. Um, and we'd move on. And, you know, at the mm. end of it, there's always a bit of give and take. And I won't go into how much they paid, but it was quite a lot. No, it was no, quite no, a no. lot of money. And then they bought the whole lot and off they went. And how did you feel? Once they'd gone, how, what, was the, um, what was that? I felt it, fine. I didn't, it, bizarrely, there was very little emotional attachment to it uh, because it got to the point where ultimately they could have been anything. They could have been silver spoons or thimbles or something else that anybody else collects stamps it could have been anything really because they just you get i think stamps is a fairly good analogy because they're impossible you can never have the whole thing so you have to become specialist and then because they're constantly happening that even if you collect i don't know stamps with cars on them uh, be there's always something yeah. there's you know always... and then somebody in you know, the Congo bring out a set of stamps with cars on them. And you think, oh, OK, how am I going to get those? And you go on the internet and it's too easy. So the, it, I think basically it becomes too easy. There's no... Um, There's no thrill of the yes, chase of the exactly discovery. It. That's yes. exactly what it is, Scott. There's no thrill of the chase anymore. Um, and perversely, I think really deep down, that's what collectors want. It's not because they want these things... They want the pleasure of finding these things that are either new to them, that they've never heard of before, and has a, an interest to them. Um, but it's the thrill of the chase. You're absolutely right. And I think everything, slot cars and collecting anything these days, is just too easy. And the internet, I guess, is to blame for that, really, isn't it? We can find... I mean, I used to love... I'd go on business trips or whatever, and you, know, you would... Have, 
as you say, had a spidey sense for you. Know, that looks like the kind of street where there might be an immortal yeah. shop, you know, when yeah. you'd, you'd go and find and you'd buy something. Uh, didn't matter what it was, but it was uh, it was you, you only found it because you were in that country. Yeah. Once the internet arrived and you could get everything, great. You don't miss out. Right. That's fantastic. Right. But obviously, everything is suddenly available. I mean, remember, so I mean, it, it it changes what what, what it yeah. was. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember the a good a good case in point. Strangely enough, is the um, bearing in mind this was kind of like when you and I were collecting, and it was and it's slot rally car related as well. Remember when the Altire collection came out, or the and the Mythicross collection mm. came out, and they brought out all these reissued SCX cars, part works collections in Spain only from memory. And so it was whatever it was, five euros a week, and you get a motor. Next week, you get the body and that sort of stuff. But you could only buy them in Spain. And I remember the joy of abusing your colleagues in Spain. And you <laughs> we said, should phrase that slightly. Said, sort of, abusing quiet, the good Karen, nature, quiet, I should say. My friend in Spain will get us. Uh, he will order four of these collections, and they will come to the office, Toyota office in Spain, and then I will get them next time I go over. And it was like... Wow, because you just can't get them, or you were paying a massive premium from them from people that were coming back from Spain at swap meets. That was exciting, and I loved that because it was different and it was a bit of a chase, you know. So it was they were sort of like just out of reach, and it made it exciting. Yeah, yeah additive. Oh, yeah, no, that was it. Was yes, it was. Uh, uh, eventually, my colleague uh, had to stop because she that was that was a lady. Uh, she said, "I'm being asked why I'm sending so much postage to the UK." <laughs> So uh, uh, I, I very much yeah. doubt that she's listening, but thank you very much. You made you made you made some old you made some old. Yeah, she's probably not working there anymore. No, nah, she's not working there anymore. No, no, she. You made some old men very happy. Um, <laughs> I think just to to wrap up, this has been it's been fascinating because although we know I've never really talked to you about it in that kind of level of detail. Well, I hope it's been it's fascinating for me. Mm. I hope it's. Obviously, looking over your shoulder, the cabinets are not empty, and no. uh, so you 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 now collect Tintin related things, things. Uh, figures yeah. and cars. Yeah. yeah, and again, you know what? How how swift was that? After I mean, so the so the you know the the slot cars went, and how quickly? So you had a need, obviously, to collect. A need, I guess a need, Absolutely. a need. Uh, that's it's called a disease. Need. Um, uh, yeah. Fairly quickly, actually, um, because I tell you what it was. I like all these things, uh, and again, it was exactly the same with Skeletrix, and it's exactly actually the same with Tintin. But I have learned I'm slightly better with my Tintin collecting. So again, I, I remember I'm looking at them now, which is I'm not looking at you. Sorry, um, I saw a picture somewhere. I can't remember who it was. I've always had Tintin books. I've always been fascinated in his arts and it sort of takes me back to my drafting days and designing days and his drawings all that anyway we're not talking about Tintin but I saw a, a model of a Land Rover Tintin Land Rover from one of the books and I thought it's brilliant and it's 143rd scale saw it on eBay gotta have that love that bought it one of 63 or whatever oh there's others <laughs> other model cars you say from Tintin you say ooh <laughs> and uh, guess what? You can't get them in the UK, or you couldn't. Uh, and they're French, Spanish, Belgium, um, Netherlands, and again, 
Some of them are part work collections. Some of them you can buy at Tintin shops. Some of the limited editions. And guess what? I have now got a cabinet full, beautifully displayed, mind you, all at 45 degrees because I haven't filled them up yet, of Tintin 143rd scale cars, cars, which represent all the cars or lots of the cars from the books. Wonderful. And I collected them all and I got them all. And of course, there are typically some very expensive ones, um, which I bought, obviously. But it was quite a chase. And do you know what? Because I didn't know much about it, the process of buying them, collecting them, finding them, I found really exciting uh, because I was generally having to buy them from overseas, normally from France, which, of course, at the time was slightly easier before Brexit. Um, but then, frustratingly somewhat, there's two dealers in the UK that deal in tinted memorabilia. And annoyingly, I found their websites and their eBay shops annoying yeah and it is you know what it is annoying because actually i know now it's too easy it is too easy if i go to them and say take my credit card complete my collection it'd probably be here tomorrow and that's frustrating so that's a bit of an annoyance so i do try my best not to do that and it's quite perverse so i've got all the 143rd scale cars they're there behind me here are all the 124th scale Part work cars only available in France. My good friend who lives, whose parents live in France, have a very big garage. And they said, Yeah, that's fine. You can have a few models delivered to my. <laughs> Little did they know. Little did they know. Because that cabinet there filled up my friend's estate car twice. <laughs> and he bought them over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, but it was great. Well, the I mean, bomb... I've got great pleasure. So, again, that's that. But, again, like all these things, lo and behold, we'll look. Just like you got Roger Gillen's book. And, of course, I didn't know that at the time. Ta-da! Ah, here's everything you haven't got. Tintin Collector's Book, which I had, of course, at the time, absolutely no idea. And there's no way I'll be able to collect them all because if you think Skeletrix cars are expensive, wait until you, wait until you start getting Tintin memorabilia because that is eye-wateringly expensive. So, uh, But, again, likewise, just like on the split cars, when I can't find something I like, you go and make it make yourself, it. yeah. And I get a lot it's of pleasure good. out of that. So, but I, it, it, the whole collecting thing is a bug, disease, whatever you want to call it. And I, I am now actively searching for about three Tintin figures that I haven't got, which are part of a big collection. But I will not just buy them when they're very expensive. I will wait for the hunt, you and can. I'm always hunting for that elusive bargain missing figure that i haven't got and that's what keeps me on my toes and i enjoy it keeps brilliant brilliant listen gareth thank you it's it's been fascinating right. uh i hope i hope i mean it's you know for those of us who are, who are still in the acquisition stage it's good to know that there's life beyond yeah yeah and don't get me wrong <laughs> i'm looking at the cabinet behind you and i just counted them up before we went on recording there's 30 slot cars that i kept um and most of the ones that are the ones that i made myself there's all the slot rally gb ones and then on the top right hand corner there's some that um manufacturers put my name on i couldn't get rid of those so i've kept those so that's fine that's good excellent thank you um 
hopefully, as I always say at the end of the podcast, if you've listened this far, thank you very much. Uh, and I think probably there will be quite a few folk will discover this one. It's a little bit different to what we normally do, uh, but fascinating stuff. So thank you, and um, I shall hopefully see you soon in person rather than electronically. Um, and I'll get to hopefully find out when you get those three figures. <laughs> that, thanks, guys, Please, and we'll say, say goodbye. Bye, All everybody. Right. That's the second and last part of this conversation with Gareth. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to hear more regular talking upper, 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 utter, utter, utter slot episodes, you can find them on the YouTube channel or wherever you get podcasts. I hope you enjoy listening to them. (laughs) 